Good morning. My name is Janice Wood, and I am so pleased to be with you this morning. Thank you to all of you tuning in online. And we are in the second of our Christmas series. So um, it is almost Christmas, and I confess to you that I am looking for gold in a cardboard world. Actually, I kind of feel like I'm living in a cardboard world right now, not just here on stage, but in my own home, because I actually jumped on the Amazon train this year. Um, I'm not completely proud of it, but uh, you know, here's the deal. I order most of my gifts and I have to admit, it's been kind of nice. They all come in. I can just stack them in a corner of my dining room until I get around to wrapping them. My grandchildren come in. They have no idea whose gift is whose. Everybody has the same lopsided smile on it and, uh, and it's working out very nicely for me. Now, I get it. I have just outsourced one of the best things about Christmas gift giving, right? The going to the store, at least for me, going to the stores, picking stuff up, wondering if it's for them. Uh, is this the perfect thing? I have totally outsourced that uh, really to Google, right? Because I hit search and Google directs me somewhere and I end up getting something that way. So I, I told you I'm not proud of this. I'm just confessing, okay? So, um, but truth be told, I really do love Christmas shopping. I kind of missed it this year. The, the idea of fighting the traffic, seeing the Christmas lights, you're out so long you have to stop and eat something or get some mocha choca ginger snaps something, you know what I mean, that, that just smells like the season. Again, this is an, an, kind of like Black Friday, it's an Easter egg hunt for adults in a lot of ways. Um, but this morning, I am just saying that, you know, for many reasons, it was easier to outsource the hunt. It was just easier to outsource the hunt. So this morning for the message title, that's what it is, outsourcing the hunt. You know, the Christmas narrative also has some hunting in it. So if you have your Bibles um, or you can follow along on the screen, we're going to be in Matthew. We're going to be looking at the wise men, depending on what version you're in, the wise men or the magi. I'll probably call them one or the other during the, the message this morning, but it's all the same group of people. Here we go. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi came from the east to Jerusalem and said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found, them, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." These wise men, these magi were on a God hunt. 
You know, in our elementary uh, students area in the V Kids, we have started this thing where every week when the children come in, they go on a God hunt. And it's where they report where they saw God in the last week where God has maybe answered a prayer that they had, or they saw God do something important in their life, something that they were hoping for or they wanted, and, and they identify that, and they, and they write that up on a, on a chalkboard in there, and they, and they record the things that they have seen with God. These guys are also on a God hunt. I would suggest they are on a baby hunt. They're really on a baby Jesus hunt, but they're looking for a king. So first of all, what are you looking for this season? In the midst of this crazy world that we're living in, what are you looking for? Are you looking for peace, security, a vaccine, a, a, a relationship, maybe a family? Are you looking for reconciliation? What is it? What is the gold in the midst of this cardboard world that you're looking for? Because we are surrounded by cheap imitations. I mean, you've seen the cardboard cutouts that we've had up here on stage. And can we just, I mean, Pastor Jeff looks as real as anybody, let's be fair. But they are really just a cheap imitation, right? That is not the heart and soul of the Pastor Jeff that we know, right? Instead of audiences at sporting events, we have cardboard cutouts sitting in the seats. Sometimes even in churches, uh, we've done that to, to kind of give some sort of sense of normalcy for the people who are um, on stage or whatever. And in, instead of face-to-face -face school, we are substituting virtual. And, uh, and nobody loves it. Can we just admit that? Nobody loves it. We all wish it was better, but we're doing the best we can. Instead of meetings with people, we're, we're having Zoom. Zoom is a fantastic opportunity, but it is still not great. We're thankful, but it's a poor substitute. It's a poor substitute. You know, and this really represents the whole year, doesn't it? I mean, I feel like 2020 has been a cheap imitation of a real year in just about every avenue, every, every aspect that you can think of. We are having to settle for something less than the real thing. We are having to settle for something less than what we long for. But here's the deal. I think it's okay to be dissatisfied, dissatisfied with this. As a matter of fact, I think it's appropriate to be dissatisfied with this. Actually, shame on us if this is enough, right? If, the, if this is all we need, all of these fake cardboard situations, if that's all we really need, you know, our, we've set the bar pretty low. We have set the bar pretty low. We can be content where we are and still long for the joy of relationships that are face-to-face. We can be content, but still long for the joy of relationships that are face-to-face. -face. That's made me think about the fact that right now, we see through a glass darkly. <laughs> we see through screens darkly, and that just reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. This is King James Version, and I love the way he says it. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then, but then, face-to-face. For I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am known. It is a holy frustration because it's cardboard, 
because it's not real. We all know there is something better. We know that Christmas dinner is better when everybody gets to show up. We know that church is better when all of our people are together. We know that school is better when teachers can have relationships with students and see the whites of their eyes and know whether or not they're getting it and whether or not they need a little extra help. We know that sporting events are better when there's like legitimate real crowd noise instead of that artificial whatever it is that they're pumping through the, through the speakers, right? We know that, but here we are for a moment, searching for all the gold we can find, searching for that shining moment, anything we can find in a cardboard world. So we can navigate this world, but we don't need to settle for it. We have to navigate this world, but we do not have to settle for it because we are planning for the day when we get to be face to face. We here at the church are planning for the day when we get to be face to face. So again, what is the genuine article that you are seeking during this season? You know, the wise men knew who they were seeking. Well, they didn't know him yet, but they had seen the effects of his presence on creation. They had seen his star. They had seen the announcement. They had seen the hope of what this baby was going to bring, even if they didn't totally understand it. They, they, they saw this hope. Where is the one? We saw his star is what they said. It's the hope of a special king. You know, these guys traveled, I, you know, I was searching through this again, and they traveled so many miles, maybe up to two years to get here, but maybe 600 to 800 miles, depending on what area of Persia they really came from. Um, and you're thinking, how do they even know? Other than the supernatural, you know, uh, just impulse that God gave them to come and search for this king, what did they even know about this king of the Jews? Well, scholars believe they actually got that information from the Jews themselves because the Babylonians had already conquered the Jews and hauled a bunch of them off and taken the best of the best into captivity. Remember Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, those are the Persian names. But these fellows had gone into Persia. So there are all of these exiles who were already over there who had not left their faith behind in the midst of an, an un familiar country, in a, in a foreign place, they were still worshiping God as, to the ability that they were permitted and sharing their information with people. So these wise men were not really coming to broker some sort of geopolitical diplomacy here. They were not coming to defect from Persia. They were coming to worship. They were coming to worship because the wise men knew who they were searching for. Get this, because someone else was sure of his promise. The wise men were sure of who they were searching for because of somebody else, somebody else who was talking about the promise that they recognized. Who will begin searching for Jesus because of conversations with us? That's a challenge to me. Who will start the journey of searching for Jesus because they've had talks with me? See, people will often see the effects of Jesus in his people before they ever seek him out on his own. Actually, they will see the lack of the effect of Jesus before they ever seek him out on his own, right? If the people sense that what we have is real and not some cheap imitation, not some cardboard Jesus, they're interested in that. They're interested in that. So what are you looking for? What is worthy of your worship? Of all the things that you think will piece your life together, can I just assure you this morning, Jesus is it. Jesus is it. Where in your life do you need the intervention of a Savior? Where do you need a God hunt? Where are you looking to see God step into your world? What hope does he bring to your world, especially 
in this year? Well, these wise men, these wise men knew what they were looking for, and they aren't even afraid to articulate it to a rival king. It's a gutsy move, folks, but they don't have time for palace intrigue and royal jealousy. In fact, I am just curious that they end up in the capital city. So, you know, if the star is really some sort of, you know, mapping system that they've got going on, they approached Herod and they, they really weren't too far off course. Bethlehem was only five or six miles away, so they were close. And if the star even took them close to that, it would be expected that you might find something in the royal city that makes sense, right? Capital city, new baby king. They figure, I mean, I would figure that he might be related to the present king, to Herod. Maybe they thought they were coming to see a, you know, to a birthday party for a royal grandson or a royal son, but no, they have stirred up a hornet's nest when they get there. But they know who they're seeking, the one, the one who has the star, the star of hope. So number two, what will it take for you to actually search What will it take for you to actually search? You know, and I think a good gauge of this is what is the last thing you were frantic to find? (laughs) What What have you lost recently? Your keys, your wallet, your phone, the remote? your controller. I I don't know what these things are, but I'll tell you this. When we are dedicated to finding something, we must leave something else behind in order to find it. You know, when I uh, hear my husband searching for something in our house, and, uh, you know, I usually hear it from the, the other room, you know, do you know where this is? And, you know, it's probably something that I have inadvertently cleaned up. You know, um, if clutter bothers me too much, I just start stuffing things into drawers and cabinets and, you know, and hoping that, you know, things just look better than they actually are. And I have to stop what I am currently doing in order to go help him right? Even if he doesn't ask me, but the point is, if I'm going to help, if I'm going to join the search, I have to go and join in. It rarely works for me to merely holler good hiding places. Well, did you check there? Did you check here? Did you look that? Nope. It becomes a group venture as I retrace my steps, try to figure out where I've been and what in the world I did, where I put something. I am so glad the wise men had a buddy. Uh, you know, we don't know how many wise men there are. If you have a, you know, a nativity or a crush, you, you probably have three wise men. There are different reasons for why people think that. There were three gifts. All we know is it's plural. The magi is a plural term. There's several of them. In fact, there was probably a rather large entourage given the amount of time that it took for them to get where they were going, which means it took them even longer to get there um, when they're traveling that kind of distance. But I have to wonder, you know, did these three guys all equally wake up see the star and go, whoa, we got to do this. I, 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 have no, I have no proof of this at all, but I wonder if, if one guy led the charge. I wonder if there was one guy who's like, dude, come look at this star. Remember that? Remember what we heard about this prophecy? What do you think? What, I mean, and maybe convinced the others of this search and they, and they set out together and he invites his buddies and they become convinced as well. Now, I like my friends, but I have to think what would be worth me leaving family, home, and country to go on a two-year search for. This is, no matter how you shake it, this is a massive investment. This is a massive investment of time to go on a two-year king hunt, a baby Jesus hunt. It is impressive on every level. When you think about going two years there, it's going to take two years to get back. And, and, you know, maybe it was a 15-minute visit. I don't even know how long they were with baby Jesus or the child at the point that they finally get to meet him. But I'll tell you this, it is two years with a return trip that they will never get back. 
You know, has that, someone ever talked to you too long? Maybe, I hope you don't feel that way this morning. You're like, that's 30 minutes of my life. I will never get back. Do you know what I mean? When, when you realize that, if you give yourself to something, you necessarily do not give yourself to something else. The time you take to find Jesus, to become more like him, is time you will never get back. It, and, it, and it's an exchange, really. I give up this part of my life to do this. I give up this part of my life to become this. And it is necessary that, that that's the way it is. Because too many times in Christianity, in American Christianity in particular, I think we just want to, we get interested in Jesus and we just kind of take him and plop him on top like a cherry of our already super busy life. You know, your ice cream cone from Dairy Queen is already too full. It does not have room for anything else. And we wonder why Jesus keeps falling off of our life because we refuse to make that exchange. We refuse to give something else up in the search for Jesus. And I'm telling you, you have to. The, the wise men did it. They were so convinced they gave up basically four years of their lives to do that. We must leave the past behind to find the gold that God has for us. He is a relationship that results in and requires life change. So here's the problem. If we are completely satisfied, I'm not sure anybody is right now, but if we are completely satisfied with what we have, we will not move on to what God is calling us toward. So what does drive the wise men to travel for what we calculate to be this rather long journey? You know, I, I'm intrigued by immigration in, in general, you know, uh, and, and unless you are a full-blooded Native American Indian sitting out there, um, you are an immigrant. You, if you're around here, you are an immigrant. You're, you're a descendant of an immigrant. And there are push-pull factors that make people leave where they are and go where they're going. And I would suggest that one of them is being drawn where, you're, where you need to be, but the other is, is finally getting sick of what's behind getting sick of what is behind. You know, I, people who have done desperate things to get to America, well, you can have all kinds of opinions about that, but I'm saying if you're willing to get on a school bus and try to float your way from Cuba 90 miles over to Florida, there's something behind you you really don't want to go back to, as well as something ahead of you that you're hoping for. So what is it about the King of the Jews that warrants a two-year journey? What sort of hope does his existence offer to you? to your personal condition in your own country and your own world right now. Because I'll tell you this, I think there is a difference between being content and being satisfied. There's a difference between being content and being satisfied. I, I, contentment for me is that peaceful happiness with your situation. You're at peace with it. Things aren't perfect, but you are at peace with it. Being satisfied means you're not gonna look for anything else. You're, you're done. You're full. You're not going back to the buffet. You've got what you want. Paul says in Philippians, I have learned to be content in any situation. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content. See, it's a learning process. If you are not content right now, it can be learned. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, it's helpful to know that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Isn't that great? But don't think he was satisfied. Listen to what he wrote also in just a, a chapter earlier in the letter. Not that I have already obtained all of this, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on 
to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knows how to be content, but not satisfied. He's not sitting back in his barca lounger and just watching NFL football, which, you know, I hope I get to do a little bit today. That's not what he's doing. He is pressing on in spite of his age, in spite of his station in life, in spite of his circumstances of being in prison. What will it take for us to get off of our backside and search out something real? What will it take for us to not settle in so many areas of our life for cardboard imitations? Now, I have uh, wrapped up most of the contents of all of those Amazon boxes I told you about, and so you can imagine I have a lot of cardboard to break down. Can I tell you one of the benefits of cardboard? This is one of my favorite things about cardboard. It burns. It burns up, right? Now, I grew up in an era where we didn't have garbage trucks where I grew up. Everything we had, we took out to the burn pile, and I'm sure we, you know, contributed to all the toxic emissions that are in the air. I'm so sorry about that. But it it was really fun to watch aerosol cans blow up in the burn pile. I'm just saying, there was a whole lot of stuff that we did back then. But the cardboard, the cardboard burned up. Back in the day, we burned stuff. How many of us are spending our lives investing in things that burn up? They're not going to be around. We spend all kinds of energy on stuff that won't last anyway. That won't last anyway. There was a missionary in the 1950s that became rather famous, especially when Life Magazine did a spread on the whole event. Uh, His name was Jim Elliott. He and his friends had committed their lives to missions, and they particularly had committed themselves to a a group of people in Ecuador, in the bush, who had never uh, made contact with anyone outside of their tribe that they had not killed. And uh, and these men were desperate to take the gospel to them, and uh, and as a matter of fact, they ended up killing them as well, and the wife um, ended up furthering that mission. But when we look back through Jim Elliott's uh, diaries, we just get a glimpse into the mindset it takes to do something like that. And this is one of the, the quotes he's famous for. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, he spent his life on something that wouldn't burn. He spent his life telling people about Jesus, even people who really didn't listen to him, but would only listen to the next generation. My final point, never outsource the hunt. Never outsource the hunt. Now, folks, this, I think, is how you know a true hunter. I love hunting season. I really do. I love the cold, and uh, I, love, I love most things about the hunting season. Not because I hunt, but because my husband loves to hunt, and I love it when my husband loves to hunt, and he gets to do something that he enjoys because it's really good for all of us, and I have to admit to you, I really don't care that much if he kills anything. Sometimes I've honestly prayed against it. I'm so sorry, but because I don't want to eat it, right? So these days, we've settled on something. If he shoots something, we give away the meat, and, and if it's pretty, we put it on the wall, right? I I love that part. Let's put the antlers on the wall, but I don't want to eat it, right? So when he, and I get it, symbolically, he's like protecting the family and providing and slaying the dragon and all those things. And so when he brings something home, we celebrate hard and it's great. Um, But here's what I really love about hunting, right? He is a happier person when he has spent time in the woods. 
He, uh, the, the, the fall hunting season does something. It does something for him, um, whether he sees anything or not. But I'll tell you this, he has opinions about how to hunt, right? He's, he's done a lot of hunting, bow hunting, um, rifle hunting, whatever. There was a time when he and his brother went on a bear hunt that his brother had organized and they got to go hunt bear. Well, that sounds really exciting. He didn't know exactly what that would be like, but he came home extremely disappointed. He said there was a guide and the guide pretty much took the dogs out and took them out. They went right to the bear. The dogs uh, you know, chased it up a tree and then they were supposed to shoot it. And he was like, Where, what is that? That's just slaughter. That's not hunting, right? That's, that's not the thing. So he called that lazy hunting. No offense to all of you game preserve hunters, but some of us aren't even searching for gold in our cardboard world because we have outsourced the hunting part. We have outsourced, we just want the finding part. We've outsourced the hunting part. Listen again to Herod, what he says when the wise men show up. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now that sounds really legit at first glance, right? Oh, good job, Herod. You know, you're gonna send them on, you're gonna help them out. And uh, you know, it's like, go be careful, find them, show me, I'll come too. But we all know the end of the story, right? He ends up with a, a genocide of all of the babies under two years of age is where we get the idea that that's about how long it had, the, these guys had been traveling, something less than two years. But even, even if Herod is being honest, even if he's being honest, He's being lazy. He is being lazy. And how many times do we do the same thing? How many times do we expect other people to spend time with God and then come tell us what he said to them? How many times do we do that? I love that, and I'm not speaking against the reality that we should listen to teachers or preachers or all of that. That would negate what we're doing here. But listen to what uh, Paul says about the Berean Jews in Acts 17:11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. See, that's how you stay in the hunt. Even when you listen to somebody who has spent time with God, and we hope they do before they talk to you, then you need to go and see. You know, I love the way our pastor says all the time, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. We're not asking for some sort of weird cult following. Go look in the scriptures and see if this resonates with the, what the Spirit is saying to you. You know, I've been spending some time in Exodus and it intrigues me that the Israelites were so afraid of God. The God who provided for them, the God who delivered them, all they do is complain. And when Moses comes down from being with God and he has his really shiny face, which is cool, if you spend time with God, you might get a suntan. You might show some effects of having spent time with him. They draw back and they're like, please cover that up. We, you know, we don't want that. Just go and find out what he says and come back and tell us, right? Uh, there's just too much God going on right here in this room. We can't handle that. So just go do your thing and deliver me the cliff notes. You know, the Israelites are saying, you go meet God for me. You go meet God for me. That's what Herod is saying to the wise men. You go meet the baby for me and report back to me. But the wise men are not interested in outsourcing. 
And they're really not interested in even helping Herod do this thing, right? They are not hitting the search bar on Google to go get their things to arrange an Amazon delivery of frankincense and myrrh and gold, you know, so that they don't have to go. And you have to admit, I mean, probably the hotels are a little better in Jerusalem than they are in Bethlehem. You know, I, after a couple of years, I probably would have wanted to camp out in Jerusalem for a bit and say, you know, we got close enough. Can we just like send a mule over there with our gifts? No. They're going to go. They're going to go to see the child because they were interested in worship. And when they saw the child, they presented gifts and they bowed down and they worshiped because this is what they know. The gold of Christmas will be found in the presence. The gold of Christmas will be found in His presence. The wise men knew it. The shepherds knew it. Elizabeth knew it. The, the, the unborn baby John the Baptist knew it. In the presence of God, there is no substitutes for that. There is no cardboard cutout of Jesus up here. We did not do that. There is no cardboard cutout for him. This is why God wouldn't even permit his people to make a graven image of him. Nothing on earth can substitute for his presence. Absolutely nothing. No cheap imitation will do. So I don't know what you're looking for this Christmas but you can't outsource the things that matter. You can't outsource the things that matter. You know, throughout the history of civilization, outsourcing has always been the mark of privilege. It's always been the mark of privilege. If you are wealthy enough and there's a war going on, you pay your slave or you pay your hired man or you pay a mercenary to go and fight for you. If you have a child and you don't want to be bothered to care for you, you pay for someone to feed and care for your baby. If you have a child and you know it needs to be smarter than what you're going to give it, you send it off to boarding school somewhere. If you have work to be done on your uh, property, you hire someone to do that for you. It has always been the mark of, of privilege to outsource. Listen, I know it's been a tough season, but this I know, there are things that you cannot outsource. Here's a couple of them. In this season of sickness, you cannot outsource disease. You cannot outsource disease. We must weather this thing. We must weather this time. I, I'm reminded that Steve, Steve Jobs said uh, in the last days uh, of his life as he was fighting cancer, he said, I have all of this money. I can pay people to do anything for me except carry this disease for me. Nobody can do that for me. In this difficult year, you cannot outsource grief. You can't outsource grief. You have to let yourself feel it. I've done my own share of grieving this year. You can't bypass that. You dare not bypass that because it will come back. It will come back and get you. In this mean-spirited year, you can't outsource forgiveness. You have to process it because God calls us to forgive as He has forgiven us. I dare say there's a lot of people we need to forgive in this last year. And we cannot, we dare not outsource our relationship to God. There is no substitute. There is no cardboard cutout for that because gold is only going to be found in His presence. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the season. We thank You for just the, the narrative, just the story of the incredible sacrifices that other people gave to come into your presence. God, forgive us for our whining. <laughs> forgive us for the things that raise our blood pressure, which are so silly. 
Forgive us for not spending more time in your presence and understanding that that's where we will find the peace that we're seeking. That's where we will find the meaning that this crazy year seems to have stolen for us. God, in the midst of this year that feels nothing like normal and a Christmas that doesn't feel normal either, God, show us the real gold. Show us what really matters in this time. Show us how to make relationships, how to reconcile, how to forgive, how to draw closer to you and to experience healing in your presence. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for this opportunity. Even though it feels less than what we want, we are grateful for it. So, so please don't hear us complaining about it, but let us never be satisfied with this. Let us learn to be content with the situation that you have given us, but always willing to press on that we may know you better. In all these things I pray, amen. Well, I don't know what you need prayer for this morning, but can I urge you to go to our website and there you will find uh, a chat button down at the bottom and there are people there ready to pray for you. Folks, there are a lot of things on your mind, I'm sure, during the season and we want to pray with you about those things. Also, remember that um, this ministry carries on because people give so faithfully. So if you want to give your tithes and your offering, there are many ways to give. You can go to the website and follow the giving link there. You can use your bank uh, to set up bill pay to the physical address, and you can always text to give. Text any amount to 84321, 84321. And know that those gifts are continuing the mission of Jesus so that more people might discover his presence during this year. God bless you and go in peace.